Good evening, everybody. This is going to be my first little experiment with a, a slightly new format. Um, don't you worry, I'm going to be bringing you some excellent guests very soon. But I thought I would start doing just a little weekly episode of Mayo Solo. Um, just to touch on a couple of interesting things that I'm hearing on the legal market. And this is, uh, I think, hopefully sharing some of my value as a legal recruiter, somebody who speaks to lawyers on a, on a daily, sometimes an hourly basis. Uh, and bringing you some of the topics that are that are coming up and, and that I think are worth considering. So we're going to keep this nice and short. This is just going to be a very, very quick run through a couple of things that I think are interesting that I want to bring to your attention. Um, as always, if anybody's got any particular ideas or feedback they want to share with me on the podcast, please do drop me a message. You know where I am on LinkedIn. I basically live there. So number one, my first topic um, to share with you guys this week is around how recruitment and marketing should be treated as one and the same when it comes to law firms. So let me hit you with some, some straight facts, okay? Law firms treat candidates in the legal industry, this is, abysmally. Unless you are the successful candidate that gets the offer, most of the time you end up feeling a little bit used, surplus to requirement, like a commodity rather than a person. And the reason is, is that, you know, quite simply, most firms don't give feedback, even on later stage interviews. They don't thank people for their time and they don't give a good candidate experience. Now, there's a, there's a lot of reasons why that happens. And as, as I often say on the podcast, law firms are quite unique in the way that they're structured in that they are run by fee earners. So everybody's default mode is clients, they wake up in the morning thinking they're clients, thinking the work that they've got to do. They haven't got time or the inclination to really think about a lot of the stuff that goes into the, you know, the nuts and bolts of running a firm and recruitment is a huge part of that. So this thought was really inspired by a post on LinkedIn shared by a guy called Nick Root. And Nick Root was the, uh, you know, one of the, one of the sort of driving forces behind a major legal recruitment business called Taylor Root, who are one of my competitors. Shout out to you guys. Hope you're all well and billing superbly. Um, but Nick sort of highlighted the point that, you know, the best law firm sort of marketing and, you know, recruiters really understood the value of recruitment processes. So, you know, let's break this down. Why why is this important? And I, I put on LinkedIn this week that this is one of the biggest free wins out there for law firms in London. Honestly, if there's anybody who's a partner here or who's got anything to do with law firm uh, marketing or internal recruitment, it's it's there's a huge, huge win out here. So look, when a law firm is interviewing qualified lawyers, even if they're not successful, they should walk out of that process or leave that process wishing that they had been successful and feeling like they were treated like a million dollars. They fit the red carpet should be rolled out for candidates. And there's a lot of reasons why, but one, the negative feelings and the, the you know, the detractors that you create by running a really bad recruitment process. And I would say pretty much every process for a non-successful candidate in the legal market is a bad process in my experience. Uh, and this isn't, this isn't through, you know, the fault of people really trying to do their best. It's, it's, you know, in my opinion, principally because the people that make the decisions on hiring, uh, i.e. the partners, are so far removed from the recruitment process that they just don't see the damage that they're doing. But anyway, having people who go through these processes who are you know, interviewed two or three times and then just never hear anything back, sometimes they don't even get a no, it's just a ghost. 
sometimes they do get a no, but you know, they don't get much by way of feedback or even a thanks for their interest. It's, it's a, it can really, really make people feel commoditized. But these are people who are connected to your future hires. They've got colleagues, they've got friends who are lawyers, and they talk to each other. Believe me, everybody talks. And as a recruiter, it's almost impossible to convince somebody to apply for a job at a firm that they've heard anything remotely bad about through their network, because lawyers are terrified of moving somewhere where they're going to be miserable, because God knows, we all know a few miserable lawyers, and we don't want to be one of them. Um, so, you know, that, that, you know that's, that's one aspect of it, is your future hires. The second part of it is future clients, and maybe even existing clients, like, you really don't understand the networks that exist within the legal industry. And I was speaking to a, um, you know, a fairly mid, mid, mid-level experienced associate the other day. Turns out she was best friends with one of the biggest partners at Kirkland and Ellis. So, you know, it's just, just because the person you might not think is particularly senior or, you know, worth your time or, you know, that, that you should be treating them well or impressing them, you know, and I'm not even, I'm not, I'm not, I'm I'm kind of glossing over the point that it's just good manners and nice to be kind to people that have taken the time to come to you and apply for your job and interview for you. Uh, You know, that's, that's just, you know, that should just speak for itself. So I'm not even going to, I'm not going to try and get moralistic over it because I know that, that this doesn't happen because people are being mean. It's just people don't understand the, you know, the, the state of the state of play. But these con- these connections exist. So, how do you think that your firm's brand is going to be perceived when you're trying to be a client who had a bad interview experience with you, or their husband or wife had a bad interview exp- experience with you, or their best friend said that you treated them really badly? Word gets around the market, and you know you reap what you sow. And at the moment, firms are sowing so many bad oats, and you know it doesn't take much. It doesn't take much other than a little bit of care and attention. Um, some time taken to provide some good feedback and just making sure that you're really in sales mode when you're engaging with candidates even if they're not going to be the one that you're going to hire you want them convinced that you are the best place to work at Um, and you know some firms get that really 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 well but they are absolutely in the minority almost all other law firms do not fall into that category so there's a huge huge easy win on the table so I urge you, if anybody out here listening to this particular episode has got anything to do with interviewing um, and they're slightly unsure about exactly what I mean here or would just like some information about how to, in my opinion, slicken up the process and really increase their personal brand and their and their firm's brand value on the market, particularly with candidates and, and also, you know, by extension, future clients or existing clients as well, drop me a message on LinkedIn. And I'll absolutely give you my two cents on, on what I think we should do. Um, now, the second topic is uh, is DNI, diversity and inclusion. And you know, rightfully so, this is something which is increasingly on the lips of of everybody in in the legal industry. There's been a bit of a paradigm shift, I would say, from firms talking to firms walking. Um, and uh, you know, I experienced this week. I had a a call with a partner to brief me on a, on a brand new two to four PQE disputes role, uh, a firm that's absolutely at the forefront of that market. And it, in a, you know, in a one-on-one briefing, they were, you know, very, very clear that the shortlist that they want to see is male and female as, 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 as mixed as possible. 
uh, and they want to be seeing backgrounds outside of just private school in Oxbridge. They want to see people who have come from you know, other walks of life. And whilst they want quality, they don't associate necessarily quality with you know those specific characteristics. And they're very, very keen to make sure that this particular part of the recruitment drive is going to help them not just find the best person, but also find the best person outside of the, you know, the parameters that they've usually been looking at. But anyway, that's kind of by the by. It, it, it's not that surprising. And it has, you know, it is something which has you know, been cropping up for a while, but it was just really good to, to hear it, uh, particularly in a sort of a one-on-one briefing where, you know, there was no element of, you know, it being a performative, you know, we're, look how woke I am kind of thing in front of a, you know, a room full of recruiters. You know, it was somebody where, you know, the world wasn't watching, it was just me and them. And this was a really important factor to them. So that was that was nice to see. Now, the other part of this is uh, something that really got my mind uh, buzzing. So I'm working with a uh, partner who's thinking about making a move in the FS space. And I was talking to her about an opportunity and, you know, kind of involved with this opportunity at another firm. uh, And everybody's going to remain nameless, obviously. And... uh, it became clear to me that the candidate was really hesitant. I said, look, what's what's wrong? This this opportunity looks great. It's very well remunerated. The client synergies are there. <clears throat> this looks like it's an absolute no-brainer. And uh, she said to me, look, I'm, I'm worried about the diversity. Um, and not just worried about it because it doesn't look good or I'm worried that, that it's not going to be a nice environment for me as a woman uh, because I don't think that. But what I do think is that my clients are increasingly asking me about diversity stats they are all over us wanting to know you know what we're doing what our what our values are how we're you know how we're act you know how we're actioning things what strides we're actually doing not just you know what are our targets but what are we doing and what's our improvement looked like uh, and they you know I'm worried that going here is actually going to lose me business in the long term unless they can you know adopt you know, adopt some measures and convince me that that's something that they're you know, they're really addressing and doing so effectively because it's going to hit her in the bottom line. And this really got me thinking, you know, A, it's a great thing. And I think that actually, uh, and, and this was confirmed to me, I, I posted about this on LinkedIn and I got some really interesting messages from lawyers that I know who are in-house saying, yeah, Chris, we are absolutely doing this. We are making sure that our legal service providers are providing us information on the diversity stats. We want meaningful change and, you know, we're going to look to, you know, not allocate work to, to providers that aren't really making good steps in that direction. So that's going to be a huge catalyst for change. You know, the money, as soon as it starts affecting the money, that's when change is going to happen. So that's a real, you know, a real positive, but you know, here's the thing. If you're a law firm in London and your diversity stats aren't good, you're probably thinking, yeah, it's just something that we need to change. It's on the to-do list. It's on the to-do list. We need to get better. But this is going to show that. I mean, look, and, and in this particular case, I'm talking about a female candidate who would have actually improved the diversity standards of, of this firm just by joining them. But she was worried about, she was worried about, you know, being a, being a hire into that practice because they're not diverse enough. So if you get to a point, you know, where you leave it too late to really diversify your partnership, you might actually then find it hard to effectively address that problem because diverse talent, unless you can really nurture it long-term organically, which is going to take some time, they might be put off joining you. So it it might be a difficult challenge. So I would urge, you know, any firm who's got that on the agenda to really think about, you know, ramping that up 
um, and, and you know taking some 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 maybe slightly more drastic uh, options in, in order to really improve that because you know this really goes to show that it it could end up being a you know a, a problem which is becoming increasingly difficult to fix if you get a reputation as a firm that that hasn't really done enough to date you know so look uh, we're going to keep this episode nice and short because it is literally uh, just me but hopefully that's given you uh, a little bit of an insight into uh, you know the last couple of weeks in the legal recruitment market interesting points um, little little things to think about and consider if you're thinking about hiring if you're thinking about your next move um, as always anybody who wants some uh, information or wants to talk further about anything that I mentioned in the podcast today or any previous or future podcast hit me up on LinkedIn that's where I live otherwise thank you very much for listening cheers guys <laughs>